Welcome to the Weekend Must Watch on Intercut, the weekly show going through the movies, TV, and entertainment that people just can't cut away from. I'm your co-host Arturo Surita, and joining me, life is like a box of chocolates. It's not even from the right movie, but nonetheless, <laughs> there's so many emotions coming up with this new one. It's Zachary Shevich. What's going on, man? Uh, it's a world of pure imagination here on Intercut. We're uh, going back to the factory. Actually, the, the beginnings of the factory, I guess, for uh, another trip to, to Wonka land. But got Wonka a lot World. of movies to talk about, not just in this, but uh, today's the day where we're doing our year-end recording stuff, too. So before so we day. talk about the best things that came out in the last week, we're, or after we talk about the best things that came out in the last week, we're talking about the best things that came out all year. So a lot to look forward to in the next couple of weeks uh, with the Intercut podcast. But got stuff... That still came came out this week. We got to address. We can't just forget about Wonka and all of his chocolate creations. All of his Wonkaness. You know, I believe it was uh, when we first started. I think it was the second podcast. You and I were like, you know, I, I feel like what we need is a uh, Wonka prequel. And you know, Zach, after years of doing this podcast together, we finally got the movie that we've been waiting yeah. for. Uh, out, out of all the trades that we cover, th- this has been the biggest thing. You know, it's Marvel, X-Men, um, Christopher Nolan doing 007, and I think it was Willy Wonka prequel. I think that's how we started in the napkin of intercut ideas yeah. that we had. So we finally made a baby. Yeah. Uh, I know you've been traveling. Did you get to catch this back home? Were you still on the road? <laughs> I, I waited for the comfort of home. You know, there's something nostalgic about Willy Wonka. So I'd, I didn't want to do that away from from the place that I, I know wet best. Uh, did you get chocolate? Yeah. Uh, I did. You know what? I was think I was a little disappointed in myself. I felt like I should have bought chocolate, but. I right? just wasn't feeling it, right? Like, gotta, I got old M&Ms. The thing is, I thought I wasn't feeling it. Then you watch this movie where they do nothing but like swim in chocolate mm-hmm. and all they gave out at the screening was like these little like, I don't know, I guess for the Timmy fans to be like, oh my gosh, he's, he's playing Willy Wonka. But like, I would, yourself, dude, I've yeah. been craving chocolate like like a lady on her on her ninth month being pregnant, bro. <laughs> I want chocolate so bad. And there's been this split that they've been saying. I don't know if you know the difference between British and American chocolate, but the whole cast entire run has been uh, witches better. And the way Keegan-Michael Key talks about a, a British chocolate. He's got me wanting to import some Cad- Cadbury's or whatever the heck yeah, it's called. I dude. don't know if you tried those, but I am, I'm on a chocolate fix right now, bro. I am, <laughs> I am looking for some chocolate. Uh, do you have a chocolate of choice, which is a really imperative question for Ooh, the podcast? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I am a, somebody who leans toward Reese's. I like that, that mix of peanut butter in there as well, but that's not, that's not pure, right? Like, are we talking about the, the real stuff or are we getting crazy? Well, you don't like inter intermixed peanut butter and why is it not pure? I, I I don't know, man. What, what's your go-to? Because if if we're talking Reese's, just chocolate, like I love yeah, Reese's was Hell mine yeah. for a long time. I'm a good Snickered guy. Um, you know, in uh, the movie, he has those kind of like little chocolate balls that look like those Lindors. The a, a nice Lindor is really nice, pretty good, really, especially this time of year. That's a great chocolate. You know what I've been getting into recently? Ooh. Coconut. All right. Like like mounds, yeah, like yeah. A good coconut with chocolate. Mm-hmm. That's been my fix right now. I That's like good that. stuff. Yeah, I, 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 I was not a fan of like almond joy when I was young, but now as my my palate has become more refined in my my older years, I, I love me an almond joy or something with a little bit of like uh, exotic tropic fruits thrown <laughs> so, in there. So catches for Wonka too. We'll be here with <laughs> caramel Werther's by then. 
<laughs> let's get into it. Let's break yeah. down the movies of the week. Uh, we do have, as we said, the biggest movie that came out this weekend, Warner Brothers getting the rights and releasing the Wonka prequel by Paul King, which is probably the thing that had me the most intrigued because obviously this man uh, pitches his movies as confections, which I always think mm-hmm. is adorable. You know, we got what? Wes Anderson's Imperial Pictures, um, who else? Spike Lee Joints. Mm-hmm. I, I like his the, the cuteness of it being a confection. He he did Paddington. He did Paddington too. They say he's the human embodiment of that bear. And now he's got a Wonka prequel where he's not as jaded as the Gene Wilder version that we know. He's definitely Certainly. not as creepy as the Johnny Depp one. <laughs> he He's somewhere in between. What did you think of his performance as Wonka? Do you think he lived up to the hype? You know, I, I, I think part of my assessment of it is also kind of trying to... Uh, wrap my head around two different ideas and that like we both grew up in a time where like we had one version of the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory story being the Gene Wilder one and then as we grew up uh, the Johnny Depp version came out and had you know the Tim Burton aesthetic which was very exciting Mm -hmm. to I think people like us who who grew up with Tim Burton movies Um, and this is you know in that lineage, it feels very different. As you mentioned, this isn't a nearly as jaded Willy Wonka. This is, no. in fact, like a, a pretty kind-hearted Willy Wonka. It doesn't have a lot of the the meanness, a lot of the, the harder edge and the, the chaos that you get from the character in the uh, previous iterations of it. So, you know, in, in terms of the Wonka lineage, I don't know if Timmy is quite doing that thing that we've come to associate with the character. But I do think he's quite good in it. I think he's doing a really good job okay. job at being Paul King's version of Wonka. Easily. A, a, a gentler one, a, you know, kind of whimsical character. He almost it feels more akin to, like, a Mary Poppins figure than the yes. previous iterations of Willy Wonka in For this sure. movie. But I kind of enjoyed that aspect of it. I, I thought it was really sweet, particularly just as something for a kid the 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 darkness of those other Willy Wonka movies is something that I think when you become like a teenager and start to learn about the world becomes really exciting but mm-hmm. just in terms of like what a kid would enjoy about these movies I thought this Families. one was pretty excellent I agree with you. Uh, I think that that's why the first one really stands out. Uh, in listening to the director talk about it, he goes, the reason people grow up and still like the original Willy Wonka is because I didn't make it for kids. I made it for adults. Mm-hmm. Through and through. I think that movie is fantastic because of that. I will say, though, that's what leads me to think, while this is nicer, it's almost subtly the meanest one, though. Like, in the most <laughs> British way, it mm-hmm. is it is terrible to see what he was, to see what he will become. Right? It's, he, it's almost like, yeah, you're seeing the heights of it. He, he becomes so, so much more jaded. We know that uh, he hasn't been beaten down by life yet. Yeah, you get to see the fall. So uh, out of that, I, yeah, I, I still have Gene definitely as the first one. But uh, I thought it was an interesting way to kind of cover his approach to chocolate. Because to me, uh, the element that I'm working on is I'm calling this a mob movie. This is a mafia movie through yeah. and through. It's a it's a young dude who enters the business uh, from far away. He literally immigrates like it's uh, uh, <laughs> once upon a time in America. He comes over and he has these dreams of being this chocolatier only to be uh, bombarded by this group, this what they call a cartel that doesn't want him to sell chocolate because they've kind of got the whole ring. They don't want him to cook. He also ends up getting in trouble by uh, a slew of different characters, one of which is played by Olivia Coleman and uh, I don't know if you know the other guy's name. Tom Davis as Bleacher. Yeah. These two right got- here. He's got a great voice, Tom Davis. 
fantastic voice, just yeah. really funny mannerisms. And I think that's the Paul Kingness of it that, that mm-hmm. stands out so much and why I was like, you know, I wasn't really like excited for the movie. But you live in this world, and I think he just gets that Roald Dahl edge. Because I saw these mm-hmm. two, especially Olivia Coleman's Mrs. Scrubbit, and I'm like, yo, this is like Matilda through and through. This is like a missing character from yeah. that world. I, that's where I, I, I really uh, I honestly had a blast with it. I thought these yeah. two and the shenanigans that they were in and getting him like kind of trapped, and that's where he ends up meeting all of these other characters and Noodle, who ends up being like a sidekick, uh, who I thought was pretty decent in the movie, someone who he introduces into Chocolate. Um, mm-hmm. And then the rest of the group... Who, who's kind of like also just as trapped as he is, um, you start seeing the storyline that's all about debt. Like in Willy mm-hmm. Wonka, you have him getting into debt. Then you have the people who are kind of controlling the debt. You have mm-hmm. Mrs. Scrubbit who does debt. You have the police who are even getting into chocolate debt. Like yeah. it's this whole idea of consumers and and, and getting access of stuff. And yeah, I thought the, it, the burdens that those of capitalism were there. It was all kind of there. It's stuff that, yeah. you know, I think people really get attracted to in the first movie. This was kind of like the precursor to that. While it's still sweet, you get to see it, right? The town still looks totally. beautiful before it looks as jaded as it does in the original. And obviously Tim Burton had, what was it, Charlie's house, like, falling apart. It was like the door was halfway crooked. Um, I thought it worked pretty well. Uh, and I think that the three bad guys were fantastic. Um uh, yeah. especially the uh, the main one the slugworth dude yeah patterson joseph i think uh, i think his name is he i i uh i could be wrong is he uh from uh peep show the british show um, i have absolutely no idea i'm not no sure idea. He, he i saw him in the trailer i thought guy. he was mr mosby dude he <laughs> he's very it funny in this yeah. movie he is fantastic. He understood exactly what the recipe was that they were cooking up, and he yeah. went for it. Uh, shout out to him. Shout out to Olivia Coleman. Um, I think they really made the movie, and I think it made it very exciting uh, to watch. But. Yeah, I mean, I think it really pulls it off. Like, just talking about all the uh, interesting themes and stuff that have been later in there. You know, there's, like, corporate collusion and uh, big business squeezing out uh, small business and stuff like that. There's a lot of things, yeah. to, threads to pull at. Uh, but most of all, it's just like it's a really quality children's entertainment. It's got a ton of whimsy and like fun little diversions. The the chocolates he invents, the different like uh, fantastical schemes and uh, stuff that they come up with. I, I loved a lot of the uh, dance or music sequences as well. I think the songs are really good in this one. I, um, Sweet Tooth is really excellent, kind of like an old Hollywood type of uh, da- song and dance number. Um, the one with Noodle uh, is is also really good. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, the one on the roof. Did you hear the whole thing about how they didn't want to market it? As, As a, musical? a musical? Yeah, that's a thing with lots of movies now, not just Wonka, but obviously the Mean Girls reboot has no hint on the marketing whatsoever that it is, uh, in fact, a musical. Yeah, it's this weird thing that they've been pushing where Hollywood is really scared to tell you what the movie is. Mm-hmm. And one, if they were hiding it, why release this? If there's one thing audiences hate more is you letting them know that you're lying to them. Right. Uh, right. Because now they're like, OK, so you're pitching me something that I don't want to get. People do not like that treatment. And mm-hmm. uh, I know it's been a big thing uh, in terms of trying to get the butts and seats. But to get a butt in a seat that's then not going to give you the word of mouth. I don't know. I guess it's a push and pull because... A lot of people may see the movie after the fact and then really like it. You know, we pitch a lot of stuff, right? Um, I remember when we were pitching past lives, people were like, I don't know, that looks boring. Then they sit in the watch and they go, oh, okay, 
portrait, I remember being a massive one. People did not want to connect with like, what is this? An old movie about all these like girls just trapped in like a, a house. Then people saw it and they're like, yeah, France should have nominated this one. Maybe it is this idea of like people have this adversity to musicals, but once they're there, they do end up liking it. Mm-hmm. But if they were going to hide it, they should. It's kind of like when the uh, the guy from um, The Last of Us decided to tell you, yeah, we're tricking you with episode three. It's like, then bro, don't don't say that you're tricking right. you. Just say, just say you're doing movie magic or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I think revealing it is kind of goofy. I don't know who the marketing person was on there, but yeah. I agree with you. The Mean Girls one, I saw the musical on Broadway. And I'm like, why do they keep hiding the music? Right. It, it also it, doesn't help when that's what people hated the most about the musical. <laughs> that's the thing. And I do think that a lot of – a musical is a particularly hard genre to market the way that traditional marketing works because, like, sure. the you know, the most trailers will have just snippets of stuff. And the songs don't typically work as well if you're just hearing, like, two lines of them or 15 seconds Fair. of them. Like, maybe musicals have to go more the strategy of those, like – uh, trailers that are centered around one big clip or one big song. Cause I think you could totally do that with different elements of this. Like just put one song out there that you really believe in and, and mar- put all the marketing around that. Like you yeah. even have a classic song that's associated with Willy Wonka. That's deployed really beautifully in this movie. You could just use that. I agree. You think there's a difference because it's live action. Disney has no problem marketing theirs. That's true. And it, maybe it's because like we children's Don't entertainment, like family entertainment in general uh, has been it, a lot of it has gone the way of animation because those films tend to have a better return on investment for, uh, you know, whatever reason. And it, it's rare to get something of this tone of this uh, high budget in live action. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe maybe audiences are just conditioned that way, but like they haven't always been. And I, it's not like it's not like we're talking about so long ago when movie musicals were a bigger deal at the box office. So maybe it's just about training a new generation of audiences to actually anticipate that, want that. Uh, and and you know I think you're right. You like ultimately you're not going to win over fans by bait and switching them. If exactly. you have <laughs> if you have a musical and you put enough money, uh, invested enough money to actually make the thing, market yeah. it as a musical. And there's a culture to it as well. La La Land has legs. Like Yeah, people love that movie. And Barbie, this like it's you don't even have we to go that, that back. Yeah. Barbie is another fantastic example of of getting way too many songs in these award nominations now as you and I were covering just last week. So yep. it's like why not have that be a thing that you push knowing that musicals when they hit they hit like crazy. It literally is a tune that gets stuck in your ears. So right. did Barbie, Mar- Barbie had to have marketed a lot of the dancing if I'm remembering the trailer correctly. Mean, the Dance the Night Away sequence was like a big part of the marketing yeah. for it too, even if that's not necessarily like a traditional musical kind of thing. But yeah, yeah but music is so integral to that movie. And I think it's also a big selling point of that movie. And people love the I'm Just Ken song. Sinu yeah. Liu loves the I'm Just Ken song. <laughs> yes, he does. I think the thing is, is that my boy just isn't a good singer in this, man. <laughs> there, that's the one thing I'll give this this, this, yeah. this whole conversation of the musicals is that it does the thing I don't like, right? And mm-hmm. that is, it definitely feels like it's done in a studio, right? You can tell that they're mouthing it over. A lot of mm-hmm. that comes from the environments. And I look, the songs are good. I just don't know if they're the best. The Color Purple was another one where they, you could definitely tell it's all recorded in a studio. But right. the songs, I think, are fantastic. Here they're good. They're not bad, obviously, because you, as you yeah. mentioned, a lot of them are, are ones from the original. 
man, Timmy had a lot of work done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can definitely feel the auto-tune man. for sure. And, and I kind of forgive it given the sort of gentleness of the film. It kind of in a way works for it, but he's certainly not like a Broadway level performer. And like, I think he's good in the movie. I don't think he's great in the movie. Um, I I do. I I think he pulls it off. (laughs) I like him a lot. Yeah. I I want good things for Timmy. I, there was a real, there were people talking about whether or not Tom Holland was considered for this. I do kind of feel like Tom Holland might've brought a little more weirdness. Oh, why are you making me actually agree with you? I don't want him in that many movies, but you're actually kind of right. Yeah. The two of these, when they're on stage doing those live performances, you got to get Tom the Riz Master. Been a little better. Yeah, I mean, you, you you've seen the joke with this, right? The idea that the graphic here is that he's clearly <laughs> standing, and then yeah. someone just put the the legs to pop out. Visually, what I'm looking at here is exactly what I was hearing audibly when I was mm-hmm. hearing his voice. I was like, there's just a little too manufacturing in there, but. Um, overall, look, it's still a really cute movie. I think it's worth taking the family out to go see. If you're able to get it like on a Tuesday discount price, it's worth it for that. Um, you think it's worth leaving for the theater? You think people should wait at home for it? I think so. I mean, look, I saw it in Dolby and it was like a treat for me too. So if you have a Dolby near you and you can, you can do it conveniently, why not, man? I think it's really delightful. I I think Paul King has got this kind of tone down. Um, it's certainly, you know, a different type of Wonka movie. I don't think it really feels much like the Roald Dahl book, but yeah. I, I think it's quite delightful, especially if you have like a young person to take, like if you are going, if you have a younger sibling or a child or whatever, I think you could do a lot worse. And we're going to talk about a couple other family oriented movies this, uh, this, that were out this weekend. To me, this is the best of the, of the bunch. Over finest cut. <laughs> I mean, Finest Kind is is adult entertainment. That's serious, serious filmmaking. Uh, big shout out to Rowan Atkinson, bro. Finally, he's coming <laughs> back with some more big movies on the big screen, not these Netflix mm-hmm. specials where he's fighting a bee. This man is funny, funny, funny. It wasn't his best outing. Yeah. But I miss seeing him on screen, dude. We need more of him. I, I thought he was really good in the movie. Um and I think uh, one of the best things in the film is, like you said, catching it in Dolby. I caught it in IMAX. And uh, there's just a lot of audio bits that happen in the background. There's one where he's getting them to, like, fly off and uh, where they take the chocolates and they fly. And he goes, have a nice flight. And it's like it happens, like, only off of speaker right top. Mm-hmm. So it is worth watching in the big screen because I think they have enough uh, visuals and enough uh, audio cues and stuff to be able to enjoy it on the big screen. So let us know your thoughts on Wonka down below. Let us know if you want a sequel to this or talking about a sequel. You yay or nay on that. Honestly, I'm there. I I would totally be there for it. Yeah. Uh, Let us know your thoughts down below on Wonka, who your favorite is. Tell us why it's Gene Wilder and definitely not Johnny Depp because he's creepy. Uh, And until next time, uh, we'll keep talking movies. The next one that we have, like you were saying, is another family film. This time, it does have the in the title, <laughs> unlike the Netflix one that did not have the, and Letterboxd would not bring it up, but The Family Plan, starring Mark Wahlberg, is Mark Wahlberg helping the family with a plan that he has, mm-hmm. as he always does. Mm-hmm. I thought it was decent for what it was, as the, the, the new December outing. Yeah, you know, I, I think, and, and this is like, not a kind thing to say about it, but this is like... To me, the epitome of laundry folding movie, because it's not something that's going to reward like <laughs> close focus or attention, but like things move, people do stuff. There's there's some 
some like kind of pithy lines there. But to me, I, I was just a little bit bored by the very like by the numbers execution of it. Right. Because it's it feels yep. like a combination of several films that you've seen before. And I just never felt like they were really adding anything new to the to the formula. Like he maybe to upload. Exactly. If you if you have like a particular uh, connection to Mark Wahlberg or uh, Michelle Monaghan, maybe you'll have take something away from it. But I don't know. It it was a, just a bit bland for my taste. Yeah. Uh, this is the new outing where he plays a father who secretly is actually a like what secret agent, and mm-hmm. there's even more deep rooted stuff to why it really uh, is family oriented uh, from where it came from. But he's kind of been pulling that Mister and Missus Smith, where he now has this whole family, never told him anything about it, and he's mm-hmm. got to deal with his son who's a gamer, and he doesn't believe that his son can be a gamer, mm-hmm. and it's like Mark. Mark, that's such 10 years ago. Like, like he's having conversations that are so old. You know, some of them are more timeless. He's, he's got the daughter who wanted to be a journalist. She's got, like, a scummy boyfriend. He's kind of <laughs> dealing with that. But, but he does this bit where uh, a lot of Mark Wahlberg movies, he likes to, like, tell you something. Mm-hmm. And he does agree with it. But you have his character, like, argue about it. So his, right. like, for example, early on, his daughter wants to be a journalist. And she goes, uh, journalism is dead or, like, fake news, whatever she says. And he goes, don't say that. That's mean. 30 minutes later, he will literally pay off, like, a news reporter or a news kid just to, like, kind of prove the point. And I'm like, I thought you were against that. And it's like, right. he, like, kind of sneaks in his little, like, uh, ideas of what he has. And that's kind of how he's written a lot of these scripts. Um, but like you were saying, it really is just a mix match of a lot of different movies that you've seen. Um, mm-hmm. I'm getting a little tired of the CGI babies. Uh, it's yeah. not as bad as Family Switch, which had an abysmal AI baby. Yeah. But, like, that's the new uh, American Sniper. Is, <laughs> totally. Is, is digital babies. And it's funny because there there's a prominent scene early on in the movie where Mark Wahlberg does a whole fight with the baby attached to his chest on the baby Bjorn. But yeah. I think it's almost like they didn't do enough CGI baby there because he's like barely moving. It's it, The guy that he's fighting is getting thrown into shelves <laughs> and Mark Wahlberg barely looks like he's putting any effort into it because he's got this like very obnoxious thing strapped to his chest. Yeah, and you can I, tell like it's not actually a baby. Yeah, you know, the action choreography. Nunchuck with the baby. There just you go. go. Like, just go, go all out. If you're going to go there, like, be a little bit crazier with it. Because certainly some of those like kick flip flips or, or not or like kick ups rather that he does would do a lot of damage to a baby anyway. Yeah. Um, Tim Cook said no, probably when he pitched that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's it's standard. It's by the numbers. It's funny that you call it a laundry movie because he's still trying to appeal to that like manly man moment like one of the big things that happens at the beginning is he doesn't like his picture being taken and when he's out on a date he gets his picture taken and he just gets bullied by these people at the carnival and then he comes home and he's like staring at the at the window at the mirror in his like bathroom it's like yeah this Mm -hmm. is for the men but ain't no dudes watching this he's made a minivan movie at this point the saddest part though is that he's not releasing it in theaters right these theatrical movies are have now been relegated to Apple. I don't know if you think that that's more of an issue for Mark Wahlberg's trajectory, career. I wouldn't say so. Mm-hmm. Is it more the idea that you and I have been talking about comedies themselves not being big enough to sell? Yeah, I mean, I think that movies like this, unless they are, there is something particularly like special or eye-grabbing or like, you know, that people already know they want to 
come in and see the movie. It's a harder sell in theaters, especially when there's so much like material of that quality competing with mm-hmm. it on streaming already, right? Like this isn't like a particularly great Mark Wahlberg movie. And if you have the choice between seeing the family plan in theaters and spending all the money that it takes to go to theaters, or you can just like boot up Netflix and watch Spencer Confidential or something like that, like Still it's not really, <laughs> yeah, like it's not really that, the, the quality of the movies is not really that different from one another, right? So I'm maybe if this was something, plan, bro. <laughs> I mean, are you, would you rather pay a hundred dollars and watch Family Plan in theaters or zero to watch your uh, Netflix version of Spencer Confidential is maybe more <sighs> the question here. Yeah, true. I was just saying both in streamings, I think Apple still yeah. gave them the better film, but yeah, I see what you mean. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's more the argument why it like makes sense on streaming to me, um, but I don't know. Uh, I, I think I think there's a world where some movies like this could work, but they have to be movies that are a little bit more considered than than this one that you know tries to sort of like in bold letters tell you the the different conflicts and uh, the daughter. He disapproves of the daughter because she uses words like toxic masculinity and stuff like that. Yeah. Like I don't know. It's a little it's a little bland. Old dad's dialogue, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, out of everybody in here, Maggie Q deserved better. Mm. Maggie Q, I know they're giving you some movies. They need to put you in more movies. You are way too talented. Yeah. In Here's multiple the thing. facets to be in It's the things. kind of thing where Maggie Q shows up in one of the very first scenes, and you're like, oh, she's going she's gonna to turn gonna on them. She's going to be the villain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> come on now, bro. Uh, and you know what? And, and, and it's that early scene that she's in where the, she meets uh, Michelle Monaghan at the uh, kickboxing thing mm-hmm. and like accidentally hits her. And I'm like, that was no accident. And I'm like, <laughs> please just go the Mr. and Mrs. Smith route. You're already yeah. copying a lot of different things. The coolest thing here would not be that only Mark Wahlberg is the secret agent and she didn't know. That would have been a much better play if Michelle Monaghan, who can hold her own, right. was also somebody in there. But yeah. Two Mission Impossible women also, which is kind of interesting. Just thinking about that right now that I saw that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, let us know your thoughts on this newest one from, uh, what's his name? Mark Wahlberg. uh, And uh, what your favorite Mark Wahlberg movie is. I, you know, I was, I wasn't looking forward to this one, but I will say that this is now taking the place of what used to be, um, what's the one where they ended up, uh, Will Ferrell, he ended up getting Mel Gibson towards the end. Oh, uh, I want to say Daddy Daycare, but that's the Eddie Murphy one. No. Daddy's home. Daddy's home. Yeah. Like this would have been his Daddy's home three time, and I guess they 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 weren't able to flip <laughs> something, so they got this. The family plan. It's out on Apple TV Plus. Let us know your thoughts down below. Let's move on to a streaming service that two people have, and I think those two people probably share an account. It's called Paramount Plus or Paramount Plus for Showtime. Hey, that's they have premium a new movie. <laughs> they have a new movie called Finest Kind. For a while at TIFF, we were like, "Is it Finestkind?" It's finest kind. Yeah. And it is the blandest kind of movie that you can find on streaming. Zach, Mm -hmm. you got to catch this at Toronto. You hyped up a lot of, (laughs) not even dialogue, mumbles, grunts. Turns out they were whale noises for this movie that did not live up to the hype, man. I wanted it to be so bad it's good and it was so bad it's... Just bad? Boring. Yeah. It's just yeah. boring. I don't even want to say it's like bad because it's like, okay, you're doing a lot of weird, not a lot of mm-hmm. bad. You're just a lot of bland. Yeah. I mean, they try to marry two different kinds of movies here and, and the marriage never really takes. Um, 
it starts out as this kind of like slice of life of a commercial fisherman type movie, you know, like yeah. the the only the at ocean scenes from Coda or whatever, uh, with uh, Toby Wallace and Ben Foster playing half brothers. Great people. And, <laughs> and actors, actors, actors. <laughs> <laughs> and like for a while, it's like feels kind of textured, but it also is not really doing anything. It doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. And then you get about an hour into the movie and then all of a sudden it's like, wait, let's make this a crime drama suddenly. And it just, it just is this complete 180 of, of tone of like intensity of, of character in a lot of cases that just never really, uh, and to me, I found it to be increasingly baffling because my conditions for watching this movie is being stuck in a Toronto press screening with a bunch of other people who were hoping this movie would be good and just slowly coming to the realization that this movie's not only not good, it's not even okay. It, it's pretty bad. Um, so, like, I think if you want to, like, find some humor in it, there's a lot to be there. There's the... Uh, extended 20 30 second clip of Tommy Lee Jones making unprompted whale noises um i am really tickled by this recurring thing that Jenna Ortega does where when she's looking off at a boat she kind of raises both arms directly above her head but doesn't move them or wave it's just kind of like fist clenched straight up in the air and it looks very stiff and uncomfortable uh yeah she thought but, it, she thought she was a breakfast club exactly like it's it, it, there's a lot of just like weird choices in the movie. Um, I also was very tickled by the recurring uh, a line of like, you live and you die. It's the in-between that counts. <laughs> it's the, it's the in-between. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's the <laughs> only one that did live up to the hype, bro. It's Every really funny they how they that, deploy it. It did get me. Like they would be out of nowhere. It was like some Nike just do it thing that they'd say to each other. I was like, I don't think that's that's the best thing to say in a scenario like this. It, it's really one of those lines that, like, they they thought they had a banger there. They and did. It just lands with a dud. The the intensity just feels like way off the charts, given like where we started with this movie, and yeah. like the whole thing revolves around like there's this fine on this boat that they have to pay, so they turn to crime. When like mm -hmm. this dude Toby Wallace has a rich father. He's he's Massive. like. Uh, uh, he's got a massive home. He's yeah. getting, being set up for law school. You never thought to ask daddy before getting your getting yourself like potentially killed. Well, daddy said no. That was the point. <laughs> the, the the where the movie ends up going makes no sense because you have a father who is never going to help him out. I'm like, okay, so he's like against his father. Then the movie's like, da da da. His daddy might actually be nice. I'm like, decide which one he is, right? bro. Like, ain't no dad. Gonna let, he's not going to let you do this <laughs> if he was never really going to fully support it. Like, he can't be flip-flopping as much as this guy is. Who is the person who's inconsistent? Yeah. But, like I, you were saying, the, the premise of it is is that they, they share a father, Ben Foster and Toby Wallace, who uh, I think is a really good actor. This, this man has yeah. been in several things. They need to bring I'll back say, to society. I'll say this about him. Like, I uh, so I saw Finest Kind first. And I was like, oh, that's a really convincing American actor. Then I saw Royal Hotel, and he shows up again. I was like, oh, he's Old actually Australian. Australian. Very convincing. I look uh -huh. him up, he's English. Bruh, he's that boy, dude. I'm yeah. telling you. Netflix canceled the society. I'm not saying it was the best show possible, but y'all need to, one, finish your shows. Two, that had a pretty <laughs> good cast where a lot of those people have gone on to do great things.
Mm-hmm. This is one of them right here. Shout out to his performance in Baby Teeth. That's another mm. good one. Look, I, I respect this guy's acting. I think he's really good in a lot of the stuff that he's in, even if sometimes the projects don't live up to it. But totally. him and Ben Foster are siblings, and their father is the one and only uh, Tommy Lee Jones, who one went viral because he asked Jenna Ortega at the uh, <laughs> premiere, were we in any scenes together? She's like, in the middle of taking pictures. Yeah, we're in one. So I'm watching this movie going, <laughs> Is he in any scenes with anybody? <laughs> if you look at it closely, bro, I'm like, when is he ever in any of these scenes with these people? Uh, it's one of the most I shot in it. a weekend roles that I've seen in a while. They finally get in a car together, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. but is he in the back of the car? We're in 2023. They could do a, you know, there's a VFX budget at the end of this that's credited. I don't know what magic they did in order to just get him in there. Um, he is their father. They both have different mothers. That's the reason why Ben Foster's still doing boat stuff and Finest Kind is his father's boat. Whereas Toby Wallace, is, uh, he's got the rich dad or rich stepfather, technically. No, they have the same mother, different father. So yes, he's the one go. with the rich daddy who wants him to go to Harvard, Yale. I forgot which one it is, but it's a pretty big Boston school. Boston University, I want to say. Massive school. And he's like, nah, I want to go boat <laughs> and like go get what was it, clams? Whatever it was that they were getting. Um, he needs to be with his brother. He, yeah, he's like, I just want to be with my brother. And it's like, okay, this is the, the the type of movie you're going for. I will say, maybe it's because you told it to me, but early on they do hint with Jenna Ortega's character and everything that there is some dealings going on. You know, If I'm watching yeah, a movie yeah. from Boston, I already know someone's involved in something. Um, and and they, these, these boys like to scheme. So like you were mentioning, they get to a point where in order to collect as much fish or stuff that they need, they end up getting into a little bit of trouble, and that causes them to lose the boat. And it was interesting because when you covered this in, at TIFF, we had put up a little intercut clips, and there was a comment that got really upset because when they turn to crime, they now need a boat to go get the, the crime stuff. Mm-hmm. And the boat that they have isn't there. And the guy's comment, I don't know if you ever read it, I did. it was like, what boat is it? I had to run it back. It is a different boat. Yeah, and it's that's the I'm, brother yeah, it, or the friend's the brothers brother's or boat. Someone's yeah. boat. So if yeah. you're listening, dude, we solved <laughs> they it. They explained it. They explained it. So my thing isn't that it's a terrible movie. A bit, like, it's a bad movie because yeah. it doesn't live up to the hype. I don't, I don't know how much wrong it does per se, but it doesn't do any good. It just mm-hmm. leaves you, like, wanting more. It, it, th- there are moments in this movie that leads up to, like, a final, you know, if you want to call it a, a duke out that needs to happen because they either need to get the boat back or repay the the drug dealers in time. You know, uh, some characters aren't going to be there for long. There are relationships that uh, m- may involve some lines between each other. All of the ingredients are there and the meal tasted bland. Yeah. It, like, I felt like the, the it was served cold. Yeah. Like the clams. <laughs> I think, uh, uh, to me, one of the other problems with this movie, uh, aside from, as you mentioned, the characters just sort of feeling really inconsistent, uh, is Jenna Ortega's character just feeling like it was written was for a point? completely different actress. Completely different. Poor, yeah. yeah. Like, Poor cast I, I, I think she's a phenomenal actress, but she just does not fit the part. It, she talks with like a world weariness of a person who is at least 30 years old. Yeah. But... She's is was playing. Boston, you know, was nineteen a, when they filmed. She had she had to grow up fast, Zach. Don't you understand? <laughs> and that's the thing. There, there's some banter between the crew that I thought was funny. The, you know, the, yeah. the Miller or the 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 Budweiser scene when he's like making the bet about I can read it. Uh, some back and forth between them. A lot of a lot of moments that could have been something, 
But at two hours and six minutes, I am surprised you stayed for the whole thing in Toronto, bro. Mm. <laughs> That's rough. I-, I watched it at home. Completely yeah. different than having to, to sit there and and just like, I don't know, you're kind of just edged the whole time wondering, where is this going to go? And then it does go places. I don't think it makes like, like it, it, it has some twists and turns. And they're delivered like, oh, okay, so he did the thing. It's almost mm. like you already know what a character is going to do before they do it. Yeah. So you're like, well, once they do it, it's like, what was the point? Um, I did like the, the Ben Foster scene early on. You were talking about the moments of like silence that they have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when Ben Foster's like, uh, his, his dad tells him, can you go do something? Tommy Lee Jones goes, please. And Ben Foster just stares at him for 10 seconds. <laughs> I thought my, my my screen froze. I didn't run that back, and I'm like, oh, that's just a reoccurring thing in this movie, just letting yep. it hang. Um, also, yeah, I mean, at look, the end. Ben Foster, great actor. I, and Fantastic actor. Yeah. I I didn't even really have much of a problem with, with the movie until it started trying to be a crime drama for no reason. And that's exactly why at the end, I thought that they were going to do a stunt. You know what I'm talking about? I'll get into full spoilers. The ending, <laughs> ending of the movie. Jen Ortega's doing a little thing, right? And yeah. she wants to do this stunt. Mm. And I'm like, oh, snap. There's someone in a car. They're coming in a boat. I thought it was going to turn into Finest and the Furious. Yeah. or, or no, like just that. crossing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why is this so? In-? It was like, it's ready? It's so intense, ready? the music and stuff. Hello. Yeah. Brody did all that for a wave. <laughs> <laughs> It feels like they're yeah. It feels like they're about to try and pull off another heist, and heist. it's just so Jenna Ortega can stand there and go, Charlie, <laughs> bro. I don't like. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Boring, it's boring, boring. I don't even ridiculous. Get it. Uh, I know it comes from Brian Helglin. He said that this, uh, this is like based off true stuff. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> okay very interesting uh finest kind it is out on paramount plus with showtime if you did see it let us know your thoughts on there and what your favorite yeah. uh jenna ortega stance was in the film next up is chicken run and zach let me tell you the first chicken run mm-hmm. that was a vhs tape that was rented a lot at a blockbuster bro wore it out so the fact that i associate this movie so much with blockbuster and Chicken Run 2, Dawn of the Nugget is out on Netflix. What is time? Mm-hmm. I don't know anymore. What did you think of this one? Uh, I thought it was quite charming, as I do think about most Ardman movies. The, the claymation animation is obviously like a unique thing nowadays. We, we don't get them in this uh, ex, you know elaborate of a production quite so often. Uh, and Ardman are the best at it. Like their characters have so much personality and they're so inventive and uh, hilarious and they're like small little details as well. Um, the movie doesn't carry quite the same uh, energy it of can't. that first Chicken Run movie. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I, I don't know if you can quite replicate that energy either. Um, that said, like it, it was still like really fun yeah. and, and cute and sweet. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I was like pretty uh pretty absorbed with it and i you know given that it has that what is it 20 20 plus years yeah. of anticipation and build up for it i think they could have been a lot more disappointing than they were i i thought this was good like i i even like kind of ran it back to check out this other part this one part of the movie as well like it's yeah. it's it's worth a rewatch even so 
Yeah, I mean, it's not an enthusiastic recommendation, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, we're at that point, kind of like with the video games movie, where they're like, okay, they're not masterpieces, but I think the curse has been paused. We're at this point now with all of these like long reboots or or, or the the long-awaited sequels, where they're no longer in the the middle range. They're a little bit above. I thought the Good Burger Two one that that has a lot of nostalgia with it. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that bad, right? Like, yeah. it wasn't the worst it could be. Did not live up to the nostalgia of the first, but it was still good. Chicken Run, same thing. Uh, I, I think it's also just the story of the first one is just so much more impacting the metaphors, the references that they make. I think it mm-hmm. ages really well, and the animation is, is really profound. This one is more so that they, you know, it's kind of like a revenge plot of uh, what had happened in the first, but it's really uh, parents, survivors yeah. who are trying to kind of raise their their chicken kids in a world where they were always fighting uh, i was looking at the behind the scenes and the which i always recommend for Ardman, um and how they had to create like different eyeballs and the different sets and just how they animate all this stuff is is fascinating but one of the big things that they said was for the main character they never had her smile in the first movie so the first thing that they created here was actually having her lips smile for the first time because now she actually knew joy and i was like oh it's it's a good continuation to the characters of the first movie and what they had right. to deal with. But it, but it's the aftermath. You know, it's the after party exactly, to, to the big yeah. showdown that had already happened. But I, I agree with you. Not a bad follow-up to uh, to a classic. Yeah, and especially like that first one feels like it has such a direct idea. You know, they're kind of doing this whole uh, Holocaust allegory if, if you mm-hmm. want to get that deep with it. But even it just, oh, even just the that. idea of breaking free from from imprisonment or, or breaking free from oppressors or whatever it can be uh, applied to so so many ideas. So to ha- to go from something that feels so like clear eyed and like thematically resonant to something that's, again, as you mentioned, just kind of like a revenge movie that sort of extends the lives of the characters, but doesn't have as direct of a motivation from the jump. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It just like the, the story structure isn't quite as like strong, um, okay. but the, all the contents within it are as delightful and charming as ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, uh, it's on Netflix. If you're curious, go give it a watch. I know that uh, we had discussed prior the idea that Arvin had mentioned the clay disappearing. Then y'all told me they saved the day. They actually had enough. So I think Apparently, they're good yeah. for a couple of other ones. I mean, look, it, Arvin is a, is, a, is a treasure. So I, we need to pool whatever resources together to make sure Easily. that they will be able to continue doing this stuff. Yeah. Uh, there was one thing that I noticed, and this just could be a stretch over here, but... Uh, Tweety is the, the the farm from the from the first one and mm-hmm. may or may not come back. Uh, I was going through Key Michael uh, Keegan Michael Keel's I was gonna say discography filmography because uh, he had a Hot pretty tracks. wild um, what's it called uh, his 2023 was pretty decent you know Super yeah Mario popping Bros. up all over the place. He's about to be in migration. He was able to finish Schmigadoon, which is his uh, musical series over at Apple TV Plus. He had Wonka like that's a clean record. All sevens right there, bro. That's mm-hmm. not bad. I know he did Wendell and Wild, which was a form of stop motion animation. I don't yeah. believe it was Ardman. So I come over here to his upcoming to see what he's got going on. Like, still hits Transformers mm-hmm. 1. I see this thing called Mr. Tweety. And I'm like, it can't be Tweety Bird. There is no information on this. I'm not saying this is a scoop. <laughs> but someone's playing Mr. Tweety and Mrs. Tweety. And I think they may have another spinoff coming out. Ooh. That'd be or, exciting. It's a Tweety Bird thing. Either way, Maybe. this had me curious because there's no news for this. There's no deadline. There's no nothing about this. So I think they're going to continue the Chicken Run universe in some capacity. I think with the I deal with Netflix. Yeah. 
I think that would be a, a really cool thing because then that way they don't have to worry about whatever deal that the, they may have with the returns. Um, but uh, I, I thought it was a pretty good uh, follow-up for what yeah. it is, and it's available. Especially the, the way that they sort of like really flesh out the full cast of characters in this one as well mm-hmm. kind of feels like it is one of the things that movies do when they know there's a potential franchise that they could spin off of it, right? Exactly. Whether that's in TV or more more movies. Yeah. Yeah. Because now you got older characters, you got younger characters, and even got the bad guys that I think people really resonate yeah. with. So, Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget. Let me know your thoughts down below and where your favorite chicken nugget spot is also as well. That'd be really intriguing. I'm a big chicken one? tender guy. Uh, chicken nuggets? Chicken yeah. tenders? You chicken know, I actually general? do have one, bro. Because I've been craving it this past week too, like I was with the chocolate. Lee's original recipe, bro. You can only find it like in the Rust Belt. Do yourself a favor. Find that chicken. Mm. Mm, it's so good. It's fantastic. You got one? Was that the one that you were going to take me to in Austin, but we, we didn't end up not having the time? No. Or is that something no. else? It's a different one. What's the one in Austin? What is the one in Austin? I don't oh, remember. The one in Austin was a chicken sandwich spot. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. My favorite chicken spot, you know, I have a soft spot for Federal Donuts down in Philly. Uh, really killing the game. Mm. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, obviously amazing donuts, but the fried chicken is just so flavorful and crispy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found something that reminds me a lot of it here in New York, or at least over in Brooklyn, uh, Peking House. They they started doing fried chicken uh, shortly after the lockdown started. And it's now topped a bunch of like best of lists and stuff. That's on my list of things that I'm definitely taking to you, taking you to next time you come to New York. No, you know what? Bring it to me, bro, for Sunday. I'll, I'll, I'll reheat it. I It'll be mind. cold for 12 hours, but... <laughs> but we'll we'll make it work. But yeah, uh, Catch Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget, down at Netflix. Next up, the news of the week. And I told Zach that we do it 45 minutes in. Zach, <laughs> I told you I'd hit the mark. Tell me about well this news. Well done. All right. So uh, we got two bits of news to share this week. Uh, and the first one I'm really curious about your thoughts on because it's something that maybe we didn't expect. After a summer and fall that saw historic work stoppages from the Writers Guild and Screen Actors Guild fighting for more transparency from streaming companies as well as better pay, Netflix has given people more data than most were even asking for in what we watched <laughs> a Netflix engagement report. Uh I don't know if you had a chance to look over any of this. I think it's really okay. interesting. Uh, but yeah. It, I it haven't lists, seen it yet. It lists but I did every, hear one thing. Oh, okay. Well, let me just say it lists every program that's been watched for at least 100,000 hours between January 1st and June 30th of this year, rounded to the nearest 100,000 hours. Okay. Uh, what did you hear about these numbers? I know nothing about the numbers. I just know Ted Sarandos came out and said what what, what you were saying right now, more than we needed. He, that he had, it was Ted or the other guy. They were like, I think it was so Ted. here's all this information. I, I don't know what you need it for. Probably more than you need. And I found that <laughs> so funny. Mm-hmm. Bro, are those numbers important to you? Why are you trying to downplay how important the numbers are? <laughs> When someone tries to tell you, I don't even think like you'd be able to use these, like don't use these, like don't know, don't understand what the worth of these numbers are. I think that is hysterical. Clearly, if you have these numbers and you've been forced to release them, they mean something. They mean better pay for the people who are working there. Uh, It means transparency and it, it, it showcases what's doing the best. 
Now, the only I want to go down through them with you. The only yeah. thing I'm going to add, and I think you and I have had these discussions before, especially for like Dwayne The Rock Johnson movies. Mm-hmm. I don't believe the numbers. I believe <laughs> they fluff up the numbers. It's streaming. You can buy shit. Like, you, yeah. It, yeah, you well, can buy it. I, I don't so believe it. So he, I'll preface this with a couple different things. Um, I thought there was a really interesting interview uh, on the town, uh, the podcast, with Ted Sarandos when these numbers came out. And he talked about a couple okay. things. How in the beginning, people liked that Netflix wasn't really sharing streaming numbers because for creatives, wow. it was it was like, oh, I don't have to worry about ratings. You just want me to make my stuff. Obviously, as we've gotten, gone further along, people now want to know their numbers so that they can fairly negotiate future uh, wages and stuff like you that. You believe that? What, what? Which part? That first part that was like how we did it for you? <laughs> well, I mean, I, it was – I'm not saying they did it for them. It was, a, it was an advantage to them to keep their data a secret. But I'm saying that at one point people liked that Netflix wasn't sharing their numbers because then you can put, spend a bunch of money on House of Cards and people aren't worried about, oh, only this million people are watching it. But obviously that has changed over the like decade plus of Netflix's domination. And everybody wants access to these numbers now to, in order to, as we mentioned, fairly negotiate – um, but the thing that I thought was interesting when they were talking on the podcast, uh, that Matt Baloney pointed out is that even though this is way more data than what even the guilds are requesting, Netflix is now at a point in their history where it's actually advantageous for them to show off their numbers. Netflix is such a huge company. They right. dominate the streaming landscape so yes. completely. People ask not yes. when, where can I watch it? They ask, when is it on when is Netflix? It on Netflix? That they can show their numbers and say, look, there's no other streamer that's putting up numbers like this. I don't care that, yeah. you know, we spent a million, uh, you know, a hundred million on this show that didn't do that well. Look at all the shows we paid for that did so much better than any other streamer out there. Easily. It's, it's Kleenex, right? You ask for a tissue, yeah. you, but people like just use it interchangeably. That is Netflix. It's the Netflix and stream model. It, it, it's just through and through. We were talking about last week. All the DC movies they picked up. Mm-hmm. Now that the uh, now that the other companies are willing to license them stuff, it's over. They're gonna have all the no, best stuff. No, that is and it, so embarrassing. And you look the at like Batman the summer, was included in there. The, right, it's crazy. Like, and you look it at wasn't like just the, like Shazam. <laughs> It was big. Yeah, and if you look at like the summer that like Suits had on Netflix, that's going to be mm. what every streamer wants for their old content. Mm-hmm. That kind of breakout hit, it just doesn't happen when you upload a show to Peacock or you upload a show to nope. Paramount Plus. It only happens on Netflix. You know, I I saw that numbers. Insecure was on there and I feel like that's going to be huge for them if if they ever Put up uh, yes. shows, you know, shows like Entourage that had like a huge like normie following. It's going to be the number one show on Netflix for weeks. Easily. Yeah. No. Uh, there was also uh, some of the some other big movies were getting picked up like immediately after the fact that were appearing on Netflix. I should probably uh, boot it up. I, I can't remember what it was. And I was like, they're getting these that fast. Mm-hmm. Like one of the big things that Peacock uh tout is like this was just in theaters and now it's streaming at home but i'm like only for two months before you have right. to give it to prime for a little bit and then get it back how is netflix scooping up a lot of these movies right away they had the new insidious movie i'm blinking on what it is but, but, but some people may be able to to pick it up and the beauty of it as uh, i'll even put right here uh brady's talking about other streaming services are losing their originals mm-hmm. netflix is known for canceling their originals 
People can get upset at that. But as long as they're not disappearing, all this stuff that they're renting that is on the platform and then may leave later, they're not going to get flack for that. They're borrowing mm-hmm. it. They're borrowing Friends, Seinfeld, whatever it is. So all of these movies that they're getting for a limited time, it's just a plus for the current subscribers. When those leave, there is no negative. There's no harm, no foul. But HBO losing their Watchmen show is embarrassing. So I, I saw some people saying that that actually popped back up, that it was more of a did glitch on, on Max's end. I'm trying to confirm that now. There's um, like a dozen other ones, though, that they did stop. Disney but that's Plus the thing, getting like, rid of Crater. Paramount yeah. Plus getting rid of the Gre- uh, the Grease show. Like, it's bad. Yeah. So it looks like Watchmen is up on there. But, like, yeah, there are a ton of other shows. You mentioned even the Batman. Like, to have one of the most iconic superheroes exclusive to your platform. Crazy. And decide, nah, you know, we actually didn't talk about uh, Merry Little Batman. I don't know if, if you had a chance to watch that yet. Bro, how'd they lose that to Prime? It makes no sense, but like they, these companies, at least you know Max being the the leader in trying to like make profit in any way possible, are sort of like breaking the promise that streaming was built on that you can find all of our stuff here. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it's as to me, it's them all waving the white flag at Netflix, and maybe these numbers are just like like a confirmation of that that like Max is never going to put up, you know, eight hundred twelve million hours viewed on an original show. On top of that, I think it was like a couple of years ago with the stocks, right? Where Netflix was like, oh, they're going to take a plunder. All these streaming services are coming in. Dude, there was that worry for it. And mm-hmm. top dogs, dude, like yeah, they were ahead of it. <laughs> People thought they were going to get undermined. They held that through. They were like Napoleon with it. Mm-hmm. Paramount is now subsiding in on itself, right? Hulu and Disney, we just covered, are, are working on combining their stuff. Apple TV Plus, if it wasn't for their iPhones, like they, they would be like they're not making their returns on apple tv plus hbo has been fumbled creatively financially every way shape or form netflix really held it out Mm -hmm. i bought that dip on netflix and it's higher than it's ever been what a dub dude that's good on netflix yeah do you want to talk about some of these numbers go for it you want to put a full screen yeah, so uh, the night agent, as uh, we were alluding to, dominated the first half of the year with nearly a billion hours viewed. Uh, one thing that I was pretty wow. surprised by is how well Ginny and Georgia did. I knew people liked it. I did not know yeah. people liked it quite that much. It does have the added benefit, which is something we should point out, of having been released in January of this year, because this is... Yeah. Uh, not showing the first month or the first six months. It's showing January 1st to June 30th. So there's some things like I think you should leave, which is pretty low on this list, but um, it it came out at the very end of uh, May. So it only had one month to accrue views. It's for the next six-month report. Exactly. We'll have to add them together and figure that out. But but that's why um, things like Wednesday, when did Wednesday get released? Because then that would make those numbers even more impressive. Exactly. That came out last year. So it did have those six Ooh. months, but that's without its first month wave like of enthusiasm. Initial, it still made fourth on this list. Even Jenny Georgia season one. I mean, like, dang. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so what what we're seeing is a lot of these things that are at the top of the list, Night Agent, Ginny and Georgia, Wednesday, Queen Charlotte, you, uh, even the stuff, some of the stuff that's international, The Glory, La Reina del Sur, these are primarily Netflix original TV shows. Mm-hmm. But something that's interesting in the numbers, about 55% of all programs that are watched on Netflix are originals. Only 45% nice. are licensed. That's so beautiful. whereas... 
Whereas there was a time when it was The Office or Friends or whatever really pushing people to sign up for Netflix. They did it. They did it. They flipped it around and they're wow. generating their own interest. That's um, crazy, another, dude. another thing that I was concerned about, something that like even Martin Scorsese talks about, is the sort of like um, narrowing of focus on in streaming because as we mentioned a lot of these top things are tv shows does that mean that netflix won't invest in movies in the future knowing mm. that tv shows are the things that get the most hours viewed and uh they put out a statistic that said that 33 percent of programs watched on netflix actually are movies and they they know you How know much? uh 33 percent so okay. that's the not, not insignificant not number. Yeah. And I think in the interview, Ted Sarandos mentioned that he knows from viewing patterns that a lot of people will watch shows, but then on a Friday night or something like that, they'll watch a movie. a movie. So there, there is a reason for Netflix to stay in the movie business as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, is there anything that jumps out to you? Are there any shows you want to just like do a quick control F on uh, just on this list so far? Um. Well, I think right there, beef, pretty interesting one to have that high up. Uh, what you were saying, this is about hours, so it's not even just shows. So the mother being on there. Yeah, exactly. The mother like, is the most watched net, uh, movie on Netflix over this period. Which is crazy, but that means that that's what, a, a two-hour movie? Hour 50 mm -hmm. movie? Going up against eight hours of content? That's exactly. impressive. That's it was, impressive. It was watched a lot. So especially when you take things like that into factor, like it might be reaching more people considering, as you mentioned, it's only a two hour movie versus yeah. like a eight or 10 or more hour show. Mm -hmm. uh, I also wonder how much of it is going to be flipping what movies are, you know, people decided to make the Irishman a miniseries and where to cut. We know that Apple's really pushing this idea of maybe having an alternate cut for Killers of the Flower Moon. Right. They have definitely touted this idea of uh, uh, Napoleon having the four-hour cut when it comes out. I do think that Apple, while not at the forefront of making the best um, decisions fully, what they did with Killers as the rollout for theaters was genius. The fact that it's out digitally right now, but not yet on Apple, is very smart. The fact that they mm -hmm. gave it a little bit of a run in cinemas was really good. Netflix is still on that bit where Rebel Moon came out, and that's like one of the biggest movies they have right now. Only in New York and L.A. for one week, and then everybody gets it on Netflix. I don't think that's enough of a window. And then even with a movie like that, they're doing the, the reverse of, as everyone's been uh, reporting, trying to make the Snyder Cut happen again. Yeah. So, Did, I don't, we haven't talked about that. Do you want to take a quick diversion to talking about that, or should we save it for the coming attractions? No, I think it works with this. Go ahead, bring it up, because the, the idea that they're trying to make a viral thing happen also leads me to this yeah. idea of, like, okay, they did purchase the miniseries version of The Hateful Eight. And the more that I watched it, there was some stuff that they put in there, but it really was just a way for you to be like, okay, some people won't watch a 90-minute movie but then they'll watch like nine hours of The Office, right? That, exactly. that age old joke. Did they just chop it up for people to see it that way? You know, like kids are consuming movies on TikTok in 60 parts. Is, is that what they know people will like more than anything? We, we talked about the musicals early on that they're duping people by not telling them that the trailers uh, for these movies are musicals so that they sit mm -hmm. down and they're like, oh, I kind of like it. So they know someone may not sit for a two hour, three hour movie, but if they chop it up into three one-hour episodes, are they sitting down and watching it? 
How's the Snyder Cut thing any different? They're kind of like reverse engineering it. Exactly. So what we're talking about is that uh, Rebel Moon, which was just released in theaters as a two and a half hour movie, something around there, mm-hmm. uh, apparently will have a soon to be released director's cut that's closer to three and a half hours. So there, there's this idea that Netflix is trying to backwards generate their own Snyder Cut phenomenon, mm-hmm. that there's one movie that's released in theaters, but the true vision, the ones that you should hashtag release the Snyder Cut about and make a trend on social media is the one that's going to be online on Netflix later. And uh, just from the first reactions to the film that neither of us have had the chance to see yet, so we're, we're not reacting to it. Uh, people seem to feel like it's, it looks like a movie that's not finished, a movie that has things missing from it. So I don't Maybe know. Because it, it does. Yeah. Um, it, it's how much of that is like Netflix just doing intentional manipulation to try and boost like watch hours and stuff like that. I don't know. But it's like it, it, it all plays into that strategy of like uh, extending and, and trying to to get, you know, as many watch hours out of a project versus necessarily like the best version of a project. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very interesting. Before we move on to the next DiCaprio one, boot up what you just showed me. Uh, yeah. Uh, I guess breaking news. <laughs> thanks to the live stream for Dear pointing Lord. it out to us. Uh, but Jonathan majors, obviously the star of, uh, several films, including the, uh, most recent series of MCU movies where he's playing Kang. It's Kang, right? Yeah. Was. Uh, was Kang. Uh, might not be involved in the project much longer considering that uh, he was found guilty of assault and harassment uh, by a six-person jury. And it, yeah, uh, I don't know how much more to, to add to it, but... You know, obviously, just from a film standpoint, it is a, you know, a multiverse shifting event for for lots of things. And also it means, you know, movies that we've uh, championed before, like Magazine Dream, I I would Mm -hmm. be surprised if they ever see the light of day. That's Uh, insane to think, yeah. I mean, it's a a sad situation. And uh, I I don't don't know. I've been trying to not get into the nitty gritty of the case because I think so much of it devolves into... Yeah, so much of it devolves into, like, weird things online. Uh, mm-hmm. But now we have a, a, a verdict that's been put down. I mean, I don't know if you have any immediate thoughts to this news that we're just finding um, out about. I mean, this has been a, a, a damn near a year already in in the, the breakdown of this. Uh, I'll start with what you had mentioned about Magazine Dreams, obviously keeping it to movies. Magazine Dreams was a movie that as much as you and I found it to be, like, very impacting... Uh, an insane performance mm-hmm. there is no way you release that movie with the internal monologues that this man has yeah with the dates and scenes that he has in this film with it's his co-star movie. it's a movie that and takes that on ending. a completely different feeling uh when you are when you match it with the real world knowledge of this right like it doesn't yeah Part of what is fun about movies, particularly movies about bad people, is to watch them with a sense of remove, uh, a knowledge that there is like a a character that's being created and explored. And like, I still feel I feel for Elijah Bynum, particularly, who I believe that was his uh, debut or his second movie, Uh, something like that. Second feature. Second feature. Incredible directing. Yeah, he did a really incredible job with it, but it, it ends up being 
kind of soured and you know I, I hope the movies can still see the light of day but it certainly will be in a completely different uh scenario than yeah. what we were expecting when we saw it at sundance nearly a year ago it's also an interesting one because obviously a big comparison for a lot of people when it comes to his films is going to be his work in the marvel movies yeah. that's one where it's like yeah no wonder they were already putting into shift what dropping how many directors swapping out how many writers switching up what happened in the loki finale like all these things moved around because I think Disney already knew this was going to happen. So that's a, a franchise that's way too big to be able to have him in the forefront. Not just as a villain, but in all these variants that he had. You can't have that at yeah. all. You could separate art from the artist for sure. We we do that. We understand that. Yeah. You can't do that for a Disney movie. Magazine Dreams is this insane case. Because the psyche of the character, like you were saying, bleeds so much to the psyche of this man. Mm-hmm. That it's almost a study of him. And in that, it's not about even separating the art from the artist because it's showing, it's showcasing the artist. That's what's so honestly fascinating about that movie now. I don't know how it will be dropped, how it will be released, but it, it, to a degree, that is not a, 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 a good character. That is not something that's promoting. Uh, it, it's very much a taxi driver like role. It's a king of comedy, it's a, a joker type role that yeah. he had going on there. of... I mean, I don't want to get too much into spoilers of that movie, but that would be a very interesting release that I think would then have a cult following after the fact because Mm -hmm. of everything that came out. You know, now it makes sense why we were seeing the video of him running away this past week. Uh, The the phone call. I don't know if you got. Did you get to hear the phone call? No, I. I, Again, like I just don't. I don't like getting into the details because it just makes me uncomfortable and unhappy. All those things adds to that performance in magazine dreams and what he was tapping into. All of that rage. Not to find him innocent in any way, but it, it explains so much of what led mm-hmm. to this right here. So it, it'll be interesting to see how they release that. But totally, damn. And you know, I mean, uh, we we've seen different cases of like, uh, you know, like look at Nate Parker is still out there trying to make movies and stuff Nate like that. Nate so, Parker, holy yeah. smokes, damn. So wow. we'll, we'll we'll see what ultimately happens in this, but yeah, a really sad situation, especially uh, an actor that we've championed on this show before. For, so uh, and yeah. obviously for the woman as well, and whatever yeah. else continues to come out of it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Be a rolling that's out. that's the the person I'm 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 sympathizing with. Just uh, acknowledging sympathies <laughs> to Kevin Feige. Yeah, Kevin yeah, Feige yeah. will be just fine. For sure. Damn, that is uh, um, yeah, very upsetting. Yeah. Let's get back to fun movie news though. <laughs> uh, with another actor of our generation. Right. Uh, So Leonardo DiCaprio, you may remember uh, that he in 2020 was being chased by both Guillermo Guillermo del Toro to star in Nightmare Alley, as well as Paul Thomas Anderson to star in Licorice Pizza, only to turn them both down and do Don't Look Up for Adam McKay. Apparently (laughs) not the decision you would have made in retrospect. Hell no. (laughs) Uh, if you had to choose one, though, what, what would you like to see him in? Run it back. Which and which? It was a uh, uh, don't Guillermo's look up Adam McKay. I'm saying no. Being yeah. uh, Guillermo del Toro, N- Nightmare Alley, or Paul Thomas Anderson, Licorice Pizza. Both roles eventually went to ba- Bradley Cooper, I believe. Yes. You don't remember that? He went in there and swept them up. Mm-hmm. He literally got the leftovers. That's why that man's so bitter. Yep. Um, definitely not. Don't look up. I think the role in. Licorice Pizza would have been funny because yeah. we love that, 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 the craziness of Leo. I think we've seen it enough. 
And I think mm-hmm. he would have actually made me more interested in uh, Nightmare Alley. Nightmare Alley would have been dope. That would have been a collaboration I want to see because the collaboration with him and Paul Thomas Anderson should not be a cameo role. And I said exactly. it's a little bit bigger than a cameo, but you get what I mean? I would have loved to see yeah. him in it. I would have loved it. You want I'm him to be the lead. Uh, I'm choosing to lead in a Guillermo movie, and it would have made me way more interested yeah. in Nightmare Alley and the take that he had there. All right, well, you might still get a chance to see that because apparently the movie star is once again facing the actor's version of a Sophie's Choice. Paul Thomas Anderson is pursuing DiCaprio for his next movie, rumored to be an adaptation of Vineland by Thomas Pynchon, the same author who wrote the book Inherent Vice. Take it. DiCaprio is also being courted by Quentin Tarantino for a starring Uh, role in his upcoming film, potentially his final film, The Movie Critic. But the legend, Martin Scorsese, wants to put Leo in his next movie as well, The Wager, A a Tale of Shipwreck, Mutiny, and Murder. Um, We don't know that much about these movies yet. Maybe he'll be able to participate in more than one. But if you are Leo and you can only choose one, which movie do you want to see Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio in? Paul Thomas Anderson. You chose right. I, I, we should host a podcast together. It's Paul Thomas Anderson, bro. Through and through. The other ones, it's. Uh, I think Wager may have had him as a lead. It sounds like the movie critic may have had him as the critic. I think if not. Yeah, yeah, I think the lead. I don't want him as a side. Okay, would have been a lead? Yeah. Those aren't bad options to have him over there, for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think they could do some magic with other actors. And, hey, from his work in Django, from his work in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. he is not going to miss with Quentin. He is clearly not going to miss with Scorsese. Yeah, I need to see him. I need to see him in uh, in a Paul movie with, with Paul. Yeah, especially because uh, you said it was Inherent Vice. I'm thinking mm-hmm. right now of Inherent Vice. Mm-hmm. And as crazy as was his name was in it, uh, Phoenix. I'd be very curious to have seen a version with Leo. Yeah, and and I, that's kind of the reason right? that I agree with you too is that I think Leo would be a really interesting pairing with Paul Thomas Anderson. Apparently, the two have sort of been circling each other for a while. Uh, uh, the movie that uh, ended up being Magnolia, I think around that time, Paul Thomas Anderson was talking to Leo about doing something together. Um, but look, he's probably our most interesting contemporary American director, uh, mm-hmm. Paul Thomas Anderson. And they haven't had a chance to work together. He's he's the biggest American movie star of his generation. You, we've seen what happens when he works with Tarantino, and we've seen what happens when he works with Scorsese. Okay. I, I, I want to see another, another register. I want to see that Paul Thomas Anderson type of performance from him. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it, you know, unlocks a whole new side of Leo too. That's the best example too. We already know what you're getting with these guys. You're firing on all cylinders, and I can take more of that. Yeah. Damn, what a reawakening you might have working with, like, a completely different director. He's Mm -hmm. not that far off because I've heard stories of Quentin and Paul Thomas Anderson going crazy in rooms. But, like, yeah, he'd probably bring something else out of you. So, for sure, for sure. I would like that a lot. That'd be very interesting. That is definitely the direction that I would go with as well. Sounds Um, good. Yeah. But I think that's about... And for the news this week, yeah. Yeah. Before we get into the most important part of the show, let's take some questions that I saw uh, in the chat, some very interesting comments and such. We had uh, Twiggy Twinkle. Twinkie? Twiggy Twinkie. They're going to do a Netflix wrap. How do you feel about that? At the end of the year, having all of the movies 
that uh, you've watched, all the stuff that you've streamed. I think that would be a very interesting thing to have because mm-hmm. I think that's where Spotify has really stood out in in the sense of Spotify raps have become so important that you see all those clips of people uh, uh, photoshopping theirs. Mm-hmm. You're going to see people photoshopping off animes or, exactly. or, or love, love is blind off of theirs. <laughs> I mean, I would definitely Photoshop it and put all all the like only art house stuff. Like, oh, I, I definitely watched May December more than I I rewatched. Oh, I, was say, old... I was like, you're already gonna lose because they ain't got no art house films barely. <laughs> like, they got no black and white, no Criterion stuff. Yeah, I think it would be a very smart thing to do. I yeah. think it would be cool for the viewer experience, but also better way to promote like the service than having people have an end of the year wrap up yeah i mean the genius thing about spotify wrapped is it's its own version of marketing to have people just share what they've been watching on it and netflix is kind of the same way you know people uh, uh, we were just talking about it earlier but people don't ask what can i watch they ask what can i watch on netflix in a lot of ways and there it is on a nice wrapped for you i i you know i love my letterboxd yearly stats and my letterboxd wrapped Another, another good one yeah i i would be happy with more of my uh, apps that I interact with told me what I was actually doing on them. <laughs> Plus, it's the only one you could do it for. Like, what's Apple going to give you? Here's the one movie you saw. <laughs> you watched this season of Ted Lasso. <laughs> you did not finish it. Congrats. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that would be really cool. Uh, get ready for all the people who are going to be the point. What is it? Zero one? Of you. <laughs> Make sure you get away, get away from those. Uh, Magnitude had one. Do you think it would be worthwhile to have Disney 20th Century Films remake Magazine Dreams from scratch with the same director and crew and similar cast, just swapping out majors as the lead? I am not against the idea of remaking certain projects. We've even mm-hmm. seen recently people have kept the same directors with, um, what was it, Australia? Uh, Baz Luhrmann just remade it again. No one even saw it. It is on I, Hulu right now. Right now, I I think it's just the old footage. I think they just expanded it. I think they Snyder cut it. I think it there's it. new stuff in there. He said he had filmed some stuff. Oh, I mean, I mean, I think it's still based on the old stuff. I think it's like it's the yeah. Snyder cut thing. Yeah. No, I thought they filmed new things for it. Well, they filmed new things for Snyder cut too. Reportedly, allegedly, yeah. <laughs> so. Either way, they, they they made a new one for that. And there's yeah. been there's several takes of that as well. Um uh Maloom was a horror movie that they did the, the guy literally had it as a as another movie and he remade it again. So it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. For this specific project, how do you feel about it? Because I, I do have an opinion on this. I just think that it would be a weird exercise. It's it's one thing to like, you know, insert Christopher Plummer in the Kevin Spacey roles in a movie, mm-hmm. but it's a whole Tig- other thing Tignataro. to completely build the project around another actor because it's it's so character driven and performance driven and i think even if i was an actor i don't know if i would want to take it knowing that there's like a direct comparison to a jonathan major's performance right exactly. right out there it just sort of it, it feels like a weird exercise and maybe not a worthwhile one i'd also say he is so integral to the role like we were saying even more so now Mm-hmm. everything that's happened that it makes the performance stand out that much more i don't i can't name you an actor with the body type with with the physicality and the mentality that he brings to that performance that could right. one match it and like you're saying if the point is to release it brand new to not have that baggage good way to make it a cult status by having the hidden performance you know like yeah. if they do it that would actually be like the craziest reverse marketing, marketing right? to promote his performance in the movie. So uh, yeah, that, that, that'd be an interesting take for them to have. But I think already right off the bat, just the fact that it has become nationwide news, the movie itself already is going to have that kind of like 
alert curio quality to it. yeah yeah it's already there so i don't know i i i think he had also said that they should uh shadow drop it to some degree yeah that's probably i do think it needs fate. to come out yeah um <laughs> this one was from devesh uh for wonka uh that the, the sequel should be a joker type pattern and have it be like a key of comedy remake bro i know it's not gonna happen but that would be so crazy to see his demise i Get think that's the, the one thing yeah, that's the one thing from the Wonka movie that, having seen it twice, the original, uh, as we're working on our video, it hits it perfectly because it's not so overbearing. It's just hidden in the background that that guy is a psycho. So that middle in between, I think they may push it a little too much. And because it's a family movie, it may not. But I think it's pretty – that would be a pretty interesting idea. But if they make too much money for families, I don't think it is. They're not going to do it that way. But yeah, uh, yeah, those are some of the Q&As that we had down below in the chat. Let us know your thoughts down in the comments section. Any other things that you may have to, to bring up in the show later. Uh, but a big time. The most important part of the show. Yeah. Zach, give a shout out to the Inner Cutie patrons. Let's do it. Let's thank those wonderful people who support this podcast over on patreon.com slash intercut pod. They are in the academy level to Shar, Cademan, Connor, Josh, May, Ricky, Joe, Tyler, and Benji. And then our producer level patrons are Udenvir and Tune. A huge shout out to all of you who help support the show and keep us going. Uh, at patreon.com slash intercut pod, where it's very easy to sign up for a membership in our different tiers and get access to things like early looks at certain intercut episodes, like you had with our recent review of leave the world behind. Uh, you also get invited to our monthly patron Google meetings where we chat about the latest happenings into inter into the entertainment business, but you can even join the Patreon for free just to get Ooh. updates on the show, including breakdowns of the movies that we're covering on the weekend must watch and a heads up to whatever is coming up for the show. So the best place to get more intercut or be up to date on what's going on with the podcast, patreon.com slash intercut pod. And maybe while you're there, give us $1 a month and you can get some cool content where we're talking about expanding the intercut film club in the new year in a way that might be fun for some patrons as well. And uh, you also get access to a private channel on our discord server which you can join using a link in the description of this episode so lots of reasons to check out patreon.com slash intercut pod art do you have a favorite reason to check out patreon.com slash intercut pod yes the film club is going to be bigger than the oprah book club so Ooh. you need to get it at the ground level yeah. simple as that you, you want to be there for the start of something. You don't want to have that FOMO feeling. Before Reese Witherspoon buys us <laughs> out, y'all need to be there from the start. Yeah. Hello, Intercut. Exactly. There you go. But uh, big shout out to all the intercuties there. Uh, we will make a mention here because we're going to start posting it out. We have the Intercut Awards that we've done in the past, and we're going to be working on them coming up in the... The coming weeks, Zach and I are putting together our favorite performances, our favorite actors. Those are the same things. Scripts, VFX, everything. We also Stunts. have our extra categories like we did there. Um, we will be filming that towards the end of January. So what we're doing is we're going to be rolling out. We're just having this discussion. We're going to be having a, a Google Doc where you guys are going to be able to vote on what your favorites are. So within the show as we present ours, y'all will be 
the transition screens on what the inner cutie picks are for best picture, performance, VFX, stunts, all that good stuff. We're going to be running it throughout the end of December, all of January to mid-February. And on top of that, we want some of y'all to be the transition video clips. So this is one of the, the big things that we're going to push for the Intercut Awards. One of my personal favorite videos that we do uh, for the year. We didn't get to do one last year. We're going to go all in this year, baby. So uh, we need to hear from you. The intercut, mm -hmm. the intercutie nominations, we're going to have a sheet for y'all to fill out. It's going to be at the bottom of this video, and we're going to be mentioning it throughout. So in case you forget or in case you have some movies that you still need to watch, you have some time to vote before we close the deadline. And again, if you want to be an intercutie on the podcast, this is your chance to get your camera ready. Blush your, get the makeup all set. <clears throat> Rent your finest voice tux. Ready. And the winner is you just start practicing that in the in the in the in the mirror. Exactly. And the intercutie award goes to. So that's going to be uh, something that I'm really excited for. So keep your yeah. eyes peeled out for that. And the first place you can find out about it, Patreon.com/slash/intercutpod, where you can sign up for free or join for as little as one dollar a month. Sounds good. All right, let's talk about what is coming up in theaters, streaming, all that good stuff. The first thing that we have on here. Is Percy Jackson the Olympian? Sometimes I wonder when you put these, is this your most excited? I was wondering whether or not this is something that was appealing to your generation. Because I think when I started to hear about <laughs> Percy Jackson was when I was like, that that YA stuff is for babies. I'm into I'm into adult stuff because I'm 14. I don't, I don't know. Zach would have been the senior bullying me as a freshman. Exactly. That's exactly. what he's saying at this point. <laughs> it actually was. I have, I have okay. a group of friends. We snuck in. And bought Percy Jackson tickets to go see the crazies. Ooh. We got kicked out. <laughs> so flashlight in hand. What? They followed us. They waited till we were seated. Because our dumb selves bought the tickets for Percy Jackson on the left side of the theater. They saw his dip on right. You got to pay Bro, attention to the, the auditorium numbers. Before Chris Pine. I think it, was, I think it was Chris Pine before he even got like. You're right. We should have uh, booked the ones on the right. Yeah. Dude, they came in before anybody even went crazy. They flashed the light on us. Did the whole bit of, let me see your tickets. We were like, um, um, I, um, they kicked us out. Bro, we had to watch Percy Jackson. It was a blast. I actually really yeah. enjoyed the original movies. I think that cool. the books and the original trilogy have a fan base, and that's why people are really excited for this one. Yeah. Um, we'll see how it goes. I know there's been some... Um, reactions to it it is going to be released weekly if i'm not mistaken it is the biggest thing that disney plus has coming up you could tell because when you look at what they have coming up this is the only thing that they have coming up and that's the <laughs> worst thing that happens with a lot of these streaming services so you are screwed out of luck if you have a disney plus subscription and you wanted to see something else this is their biggest thing um zach looks very enthralled to see it <laughs> i'm skipping this i'm not even gonna try <laughs> for zach he's not he doesn't want to watch the water stuff at home yeah he wants to go out to the theaters to watch the new Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. My yeah. man. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, look, canceled? it's directed by James Wan. I like James Wan. Aren't we in a new universe? <laughs> what is this? It's, the funniest thing is Jason Momoa going around being like, yeah, I don't think they're going to make any more of these. <laughs> like, great promo. I don't even... I don't even know. Look, I'm excited to see our boy in the back. I, I know he got really ripped. He came into the mm -hmm. third Conjuring movie looking way too jacked to fight those demons. <laughs> and it's got Yasha in it, so. Yeah. I thought the first one was like a decently fun, dumb time. 
It seems like the production issues on this one are pretty bad. I wonder pretty bad. If, if it's going to feel just kind of super patchwork and studio noted to death. Easily. But I don't know. You mentioned it. There's a bunch of actors who I normally enjoy seeing on the big screen. I, I'm hoping though this one at least will have moments, right? Like I didn't think that Multiverse of Madness was that good of a movie. Two hours, but, four minutes, a better. But the Multiverse of Madness had moments. Maybe this one will too. We'll see. Rebel Moon Part 1 of Child Fire, speaking of, mismatched. Yeah. Half studio meddling, yada, yada, yada. You're the Snyder guy. What? what you, how are you feeling right now? I'm feeling anyone but you in theaters Friday. They're saying <laughs> this is the wrong com that's going to be coming out yeah. that people are excited for because it's Shakespeare. You team Glenn, you team Swindney. Swindney. Sweeney. Sydney Sweeney, what am I saying? The B, that B on set that they were talking about. <laughs> Why would you release that clip? I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping for a good time because like we were just saying, this is one of the very few comedies, rom-coms that you're going to be able to see in the theater. So, yeah. I mean, they're really hyping it up. They're priming it for um, Christmas weekend. I mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a hit. I feel like a lot of people are going to counter market this with the big uh, black buses that are out there and they're going to go see this. Yeah, I think I, so. They've, I, they've also got a really good push with influencers. It's been funny to see all the old head critics sit there and go, what do my words mean? Right. Like, critics really like to tell you like how important, like they think they're plumbers. They think they're like handymen. Bro, you and I know what we are here. This is a privilege to be able to do this job. Nothing is crazier than when you realize, yeah, your words for a rom-com mean even less than an artsy film. And you're sitting at something that has invited people to, what was it, pick shirts between <laughs> team... One of these Glenn, two. Team Sweeney, Sydney, Sweeney. Yeah. I think that they're marketing it in the in the, the the greatest way possible. So we'll see. We'll see what they get. Um, next up is Migration. I think another one that's going to be a good counter marketing for uh, the animation genre that's going to be out there. Obviously, Chicken Run came out at home, so this is going to be there. We'll see what people think of it. Uh, all I've of us tomorrow is getting the limited release. I know this was a big one off of the festivals. A lot of people really vibed with it. I thought it was a good movie. I wasn't blown away as much as other people were, but I'm excited to see how this rolls out because I do think that it has very solid performances. I'm with you. Uh, memory. I don't know this one right here. Oh, because I didn't see it. <laughs> no exactly. one, I have no memory of it. Uh, you did get to see this one. Talk about it. Yeah, Peter Sarsgaard, Jessica Chastain, directed by Michelle Franco, who's a interesting director who I don't know if I've ever like super connected with his work. Uh, but there are there are some interesting things in here, and I think Peter Sarsgaard and Jessica Chastain do a pretty admirable jo- admirable job of bringing depth to pretty bizarre characters. Like they're not exactly like eccentric but they just make choices that don't feel very relatable or human um in a way that is in line with some of the michelle franco stuff i've seen but i i just had trouble connecting with some of the motivations it's well acted it's interesting like i i think there's like a you can have a really good conversation after seeing a movie like this but i Mm -hmm. think you could probably wait for this to be uh available at home i'm not gonna recommend this is a rush out to the theater whatever art house theater might be playing this one uh december 22nd when it's out i'm still curious for it. we'll we'll see because you've you've described it as being a very interesting take on these actors yes uh freud's freud's last session freud's yeah this is a movie that i saw some people uh speculating could be a late oscar contender and then i think what? people late, saw late, late. 
and then people saw it at the AFI Fest and said, eh, not really going to contend for much okay. of anything. It's got your boy Anthony Hopkins in the lead role. I mean, obviously, you got to at least consider uh, him because he's so good. But uh, the movie has been getting pretty mixed. mixed to negative reviews. So, Damn. Yeah. Well, that's because it's nothing against the boys in the boat. Yeah. The surprise movie at screen on scenes that had people leaving. Did you actually go or do you miss it? Hell no. You know, I get it an hour ahead to know what it's right. going to be. I have no intentions of watching this. I actually, uh, I had Alina play a game. Name me four of this man's directorial movies. <laughs> I mean, and she couldn't. It just gets worse and worse at the further he goes along because I actually really like Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, his uh, debut. Only good one, though. How long ago was that, though? How long yeah, ago is that? 2002, oh, maybe 20 years at this point. Um, you can even, I, look, let's give him some credit for Good Night, Good Luck. It's a pretty interesting movie. You got really good performances in that one. Uh, oh, even, five? Even if you want to throw in Ides of March, which is not like amazing, but it, I think I found it riveting at the time. Um, it it gets more and more dire from there on out and he's just he's got no like stamp on these movies like if I ask you to describe a George Clooney movie to me is the only thing that comes up like meh like what is what is the adjective what is the uniting focus or does he have a thing that interests him or a style or yeah so you'll forget it when you discuss it a month later (laughs) yeah yeah, you know what's Lots scary? Of forgettable said, movies. This is like uh, I think I had a regal email talking about this being the start. I'm like the start of what? I guess it's a book series. Okay. So the boys in the boat too, uh, <laughs> maybe in the horizon. Um, but I hope to keep it docked. Uh, yeah. Ferrari is also coming out. You got the chance to see this one. CGI crashes and all. This is going to be did. one of the last minute ones that I see. Uh, but sadly, new Michael Mann. But you said it's mixed. Yeah, I I think there are riveting sequences in it, but a lot of it plays as like bad melodrama. And then there's also the uh, CGI car crashes, which are just really pull you out of Mm -hmm. what's otherwise a lot of like exciting race footage. I I don't know. There's high highs, but there are low lows with this movie. For his performance, go out or no? (laughs) I like it a lot. It's it's a a little... (laughs) Look, it's very, it's very like House of Gucci adjacent, but I, I liked it. Um, okay, good he's pitch. definitely doing better than Shailene Woodley is with the accent. Okay, damn. All right, uh, the color purple I would recommend for the performances, for the take that they have on it. I think it's very bombastic. I think there's, it's very, uh, <laughs> there's some heartbreaking moments. There's some heartwarming moments. It is a, 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 a really good adaptation of the original. I don't think. I think it's a it's a good balance. There are a lot of moments that I like in the original, and then there is some things that the the new rendition is able to do that that surpassed it. So it's a really good give and take. Um, I was actually pretty impressed by this. I know people were saying that this was going to be a late contender. I agree with them. Uh, I think that it's going to be a, a a good week of movies with Aquaman being the big blockbuster, anyone but you being the rom com, Migration being the animation, and then this being the musical that is, it's going to have to compete with Wonka. So something for everybody. Yeah, two back-to-back musicals there. I thought The Color Purple really stood out. Uh, Danielle Brooks, fantastic performance. Fantasia also as well. I know everyone's been talking about the supporting, but Fantasia is really good in this movie, dude. So definitely check this one out if it interests you. 
another recommendation I would say is The Teacher's Lounge, one that we both caught at Toronto. I think it is a very good movie, one that I've been rooting for to make the uh, shortlist and hopefully even the top five for internationals. Um, and then the four-hour documentary, <laughs> Occupied City. Let's go. I need to see this at home, man. I can't. Yeah. See, I can't see this in theaters. Yeah, I got a couple press invites to it, and it's just it's just hard to it's too much. take that much out of your day, especially because when it's in the theater, it's not just the four hours, but the commute as well. Mm-hmm. And it's like I've I've now dedicated my entire day to seeing uh, this. What I'm in, anticipating is going to be like a not particularly yeah. um, exhilarating or like optimistic Steve McQueen documentary. I do really want to see it, and I will at yeah. some point. And that point will be when it's available at home. We'll see. I like how Brady said in the uh, in the chat that there are three Warner Brothers movies out. Like, why are they competing with themselves? Well, they can't even get their schedules right. No. Makes absolutely no sense. But yeah. here are our picks for the week. Stuff that you can go out to theaters to go see or stuff that you could just stay at to watch in the comfort of your own home. I am beginning... I'm an old man. I'm beginning with two documentaries. This was one Ooh. that played at South by and they were, clo- you know, they were holding it very close to their chest. They weren't giving out too many screeners for this. So now you can watch it digitally as a <laughs> screening at home. It's on HBO Max. It's called Great Photo, Lovely Life. This is a fantastic movie about uh, uh, the director, if I'm not mistaken, who is looking back at her life, specifically this one photo that everything looks fine and dandy. It, it At the back, it says Great Photo, Lovely Life. Mm-hmm. And as she investigates the things that her grandpa did. She starts uncovering a lot of messed up stuff. But the real profound thing about this movie is the way that it tackles not only the forgiveness of the grandfather, but of the grandmother mm-hmm. and technically of the, 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 the children. What would be her mom? What would be her aunts? How complicit are they? When do you start forgiving a perpetrator? Because you also made mistakes and you want that forgiveness too, bro. It hit by the end of this i am always kind of skeptical when people are making documentaries about themselves like mm-hmm. oh is this going to be like the trauma that you went through that's going to really build up your career no there is a purpose for this movie and i found the messaging to be very impactful in this it is out on hbo it is a heavy watch the great photo lovely life gets a high recommendation from me yeah excited to catch up with it you talked uh you praised it highly when we saw it at south by I did or not you see it saw south it by. rather at south I've not seen it. This oh, wait, is, this I thought you saw it at South by. My bad. No, I mean, I saw a lot of documentaries, but I I made no mention of this. This was the one that I was waiting for. Uh, great right, photo, lovely bad. life. Very good. Uh, Giovanni. This one I did talk about at yeah. Sundance. Giovanni uh, going to Mars, the Nikki Giovanni project is one that I thought was such a poetic movie, a documentary oh, yeah. about this poet who pretty much breaks down. Like, so I went into this movie thinking she was an astronaut. No, <laughs> she is giving this damn near visual poetic Mm -hmm. beautifully edited montage documentary going through her life uh her uh, personally uh through her her creative side i I just i highly recommend this movie for the words that she says uh the way that she's able to just uh like break down her life uh and and history and how she's able to intertwine different moments of the people that she's met and what she seeks out for in the future i thought was beautiful i am glad it is out on max it is the best way to catch it um, Giovanni, one of my top five docs of the year. 
Yeah, it was one of the best documentaries I saw at Sundance as well. And uh, it's one of those films where maybe you haven't even heard of her or her work, but you're going to leave the film just thinking she's like such an incredible person and personality. Um, I would like, this is probably like a completely different feeling, but it's almost like watching those like Martin Scorsese friend Leibowitz stuff where it's just like, let's just put the camera on her and let her talk about everything that she thinks. And and it carries the movie. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. Uh, so definitely give that one a watch. And then my pick for theaters is the movie that just expanded for us, American Fiction, Cord yeah. Jefferson's movie. I've been seeing a lot of pushback from a lot of people. Yeah. And I find it interesting. Every single time I read somebody, their biggest problem is that this movie doesn't go at the audience. And I'm like, why does it need to go to the audience? Like, why is your perspective that it needs to belittle somebody? And like they have this stance of if this movie doesn't go at the audience and they like it, then they don't understand it. Fight Club? It's not a bad movie just because people misunderstood that. The greatest part has been it's journalists who are guilty of what they're calling out in journalism (laughs) in the movie. That is probably the most insane part to me. This is a movie that if you've liked films like Bamboozled, if you've liked films like um, Hollywood Shuffle, which I think is fantastic. Great uh, comparisons. Yeah, these are the inspirations of that movie. The directors mentioned both of those as uh, being things that he's really – been attuned a, a to. Um, I'm looking forward to rewatching this and also checking out the book that it's from. I think it is a fantastic, uh, fun watch. And uh, it doesn't take itself too seriously. I think a lot of people wanted this to be an indictment, and it's not. It's venting. Mm-hmm. That's where people are misunderstanding it. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's not like the be-all, end-all statement, but it, it is the frustrations yeah. of a person in this situation. Yeah. Uh, and it, that's, it's frustrations that are both personal and professional. And I think a lot of people are, are really trying to say the movie should be one or the other when nah. people aren't one or the other, right? Like it's, hey, thank it's, I don't you. Know. It's exactly. A, a, yeah, it's definitely one of the best movies of the year. I'm very excited to catch up with it again. I know that it is sort of a like platform release so it is more theaters this friday more theaters than that next friday even more theaters than that in january international in february so if it's not playing near you now keep checking and it'd be funny for this to get nominations because it's that perfect movie where a lot of people are saying oh it becomes what it's criticizing i think it's better Mm -hmm. than that i think what it's doing is almost calling out the people and put it like like testing them go ahead nominate us and it almost comes full circle i think that's the beauty of this getting a nomination yeah uh, but uh, those are my picks. Uh, Zach has three picks. This one was supposed to be on our docket. I, I stole it for my pick of the week. I don't know if did you get a chance to see it? Should we talk about it? Yeah, this is uh, right there. I watched it. All right, so the Iron Claw, man. It's the new movie from Sean Durkin. It's going to be in theaters uh, December twenty second. This is one of the uh, late pure, uh, late movie or late year release prestige movies that I think a lot of people are upset. Uh, didn't do the festival circuit because it, it's sort of being forgotten in some of these critics awards, even though it is quite a stunning uh, piece of work. Sean Durkin has sort of molded himself into the king of making incredibly scary movies that are not horror. Like what happens to somebody as they try to escape a cult? Uh, what happens to somebody living in like a empty loveless home? Uh, and now it's what happens to a family as it's torn apart by like absurd toxic masculinity fueled dreams of their father. Uh, the, this is the true story of the Von Erich brothers who were uh, in the world of professional wrestling, uh, primarily in the 1980s, and then ultimately met tragedy in some form or another. It's a 
terrible true story, but one that is done in this really uh, ominous and unsettling way. I think some of the performances in this are top tier from Zac Efron, from Jeremy Allen White, from the boy, Harris Dickerson, uh, Dickinson, rather. Um, I also Stand do want to give a shout the out. dad? Holt McElhaney, man, Mindhunter's own, is it's so good in this movie. the best part of the movie. He's he's such a villain, but doesn't play it in like a villainous way. He's just like the the worst imaginable father for the things these kids are going through. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I I thought it was a pretty. There's a lot of the movie that I find to be really stunning. I know there's some pe- some people have some issues with aspects of it, and I don't know if I have counter arguments for aspects of that. Maybe that's something there, we have to say for like yeah. a spoiler talk. Um, but. I, I still think this is like a pretty incredible work from Sean Durkin. Halfway through the movie, I got really scared. Yeah. Because my list of supporting actors is full. Yeah. And overfilling. It's spilling. This <laughs> we, man needs a spot on that list. We need more nominations. Wow. Uh, I agree with you. Harris Dickinson was a standout to me out of the brothers. I love this movie. I think my embargo is finally up. Uh, That movie was fantastic, bro. This movie is great. Uh, I don't know when we're going to do our next Christmas must watch because I know it's going to be next. uh, Monday's going to be the 25th. Either we do it on on Sunday Mm. or we do it at some point in the week to cover. What is it? um, Because I'm going to be gone the first January uh, weekend. But to cover. What is it? What did we just say? Uh, Iron Claw, Iron Claw, Aquaman, Rebel Moon, all the other ones. We're gonna have to find a different way to finagle it. But uh, if you had to see one movie in theater this weekend, that is definitely gonna be everywhere because they had that a A twenty four December thirteenth release. This mm-hmm. did the opposite of the rolling out. Yeah, they missed all the festivals, but I know this is playing near everybody. Yeah. I would highly recommend this movie. Get American Fiction when you can, but this would be definitely the secured theater pick of the week that should be playing in most places. I It, it broke me. It's sad. It's heavy. You it's told me that sad. right before. You're like, a good way to start your, was it Tuesday morning mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, with the screening of this. Nah, there's a line at the end that Zac Efron says. Ooh, yeah. it, it, it's, good. It's, oh, it's crazy stuff. That's I, I think I know what you're talking about, and that's one of two points uh-huh. in the movie where I was just uh-huh. crying. Uh, um, this is probably yeah. the movie that actually has got the most tears out of me this year. Um, yeah. And I do we'll want to a, shout out, oh, what was that? Oh, just that we'll have a longer discussion on this one because I think we both ended up really For liking sure. this one. Even with the the detractions the, 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 the or criticisms that are on there that I do think are fair also. Yeah. Um, I do want to shout out the cinematographer. I, I might be mispronouncing his name. Uh, Matthias uh, Erdely. And he's been with uh, Sean Durkin on The Nest, but he's also done some other films like mm, Son of Saul, yeah, like James yeah, yeah. White, Miss Bala. Um, even if I didn't like Foe, I thought Foe was well shot. Really talented mm. cinematographer. A lot of the shots in this film are beautifully constructed. It's, really, it's a really, really good looking period piece. Nice. All right. Iron Claw. Very good pick. Bro, I swear you've had this pick for three weeks in a row. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Maestro is going to be on Netflix, so now people can actually see whether or not we're overrating this thing, because I think both of us were really swept up by it. Um, It is. I don't know. There's aspects to it that are certainly sloppy, but I think it kind of culminates. The sloppiness is the beauty of it. Yeah, it culminates in something that's really lovely, really tender and heartfelt, um, th- there's just that one scene with the symphony at the end where if you don't kind of 
feel the music in your chest. Exactly. You're watching movies differently than I do. I can't disagree with people who are like, oh, it's a little overhyped, whatever else. I was like, for sure, for sure, for sure. And then I pull out that symphony scene. Right. I'm like, come right. on now. Yeah. Yeah. That's what um, did it for me. Exactly. So this is going to be a bit short of my best of lists, but I think there's still like a really, Isn't really great that... movie in there. I know we're about to do our best of list. This is going to be a conversation because we got to wrap this up. How many f- four star movies <laughs> had to get it's cut incredible. this year? It's no, inc- it is it's ridiculous. so hard. I, I, I was actually, in my honorable mentions cutting off four stars. Yeah, yeah. I was putting together like a top 50 from myself just to out of curiosity's sake. And there's so many movies that I, I can't believe didn't make the 50 cut. It's a Great stacked year. year. Great year. Great year. All right. Last pick because we do have to film our best of the year. You got yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Piano Forte. This is a documentary that first premiered at Sundance earlier this year. It's now in limited release, and I believe it's expanding week over week. Uh, I'll give a advanced shout out to the VOD date on January 9th, so maybe something to look forward to in the new year if it's not playing near you. But I thought this is a really interesting documentary uh, from Poland. It's actually directed by Jakub Piatek, who you may remember from uh, Primetime, which we also saw at Sundance. Uh, mm. I'd like this one more. Um, it is a really interesting film that follows the these aspiring or these young pianists as they're entered into the international Chopin piano competition and go through different rounds of performing, trying to uh, stay be like the last pianist standing or whatever. And it, it's sort of the the immense pressures of seeking of like pursuing perfection in this kind of like musical pursuit. It, it's sort of a whiplashian style documentary in some ways as you see the pressure sort of bend and break some people um you know it's not necessarily the like deepest look at any of them but i i think in the spirit of uh stuff like is it strictly ballroom that was the dance the kids dancing documentary and stuff there's other documentaries that sort of do this competitive thing um, even the the mariachi documentary that I'm forgetting the name of from a couple of years oh, ago. Oh, Going Varsity, I remember that Going one. Varsity, Marchia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, there, there's like a, a new formula with stuff like this that I think yeah. allows you to really get an interesting cross-section of uh-huh. these different lifestyles. And uh, this one, it can totally be in the same like catalog of movies as all mm. those. I have had the screening link, no lie, open for 10 days. Like it's One just of those, the, open the so I don't forget there. it. The yeah. tab has just—it's it, not even a tab. But I got a it couple is of those. Own window. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. That's a... for the for the Vimeo link. So I have been excited for this one because it was one of my uh, leftover ones, one of my watch list picks yeah. from um, Sundance. So I'm I'm hey I'm glad to hear that it's great. So we asked for the link back at Sundance, and uh, they told us to circle back. And then I asked eleven months later, and said, <laughs> "I remembered you." <laughs> oh, that's yeah. That's usually how it goes, but yep. breaking down all of the stuff that we have this week, a good good, good list of docs that we've got over here. Great yeah. photo, lovely life over on HBO. It is a pretty big drama-based documentary of the director looking back, at, looking back at her life and honestly just the cycle of forgiveness and what really breaks those chains uh, when forgiveness can just be perpetrating it and, and the hurt continues. Highly recommend it. Uh, just be very wary of it. Going to Mars is a very inspirational doc from the poet uh, known as Nikki Giovanni as she mm. talks about what would happen if black people went to Mars. I think it is one of the best edited ones and one of my favorites uh, since Sundance. American Fiction, a movie that I think general audiences have been loving. It won the People's Choice Award for a reason at TIFF. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. 
I'm going with it being uh, for a good reason. I think that this is a movie that is just venting a lot of the frustrations, as Zach put it, for what happens in the industry. And it would be really funny to see the industry that nominate it, <laughs> like some scenes in this movie. Yeah. Zach's got another one that I give two thumbs up for. The Iron Claw, a uh, ominous retelling of the true story of the Von Erichs, the wrestling family, as directed by Sean Durkin, who's one of our great underrated American directors. He really is. Uh, yeah. I've also got Maestro on my list now that the film is going to be available on Netflix. You can get a glimpse at Bradley Cooper's vision of the life of Leonard Bernstein. Bernstein. And We've been corrected. Yeah. Oh, it's Bernstein? Yeah, it's uh, Stein. Bernstein, Wait, Stein? actually. Yeah. Not Bernstein. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then finally, the last one is Piano Forte, another documentary recommend, uh, recommendation. This one is in theaters. A look at the International Chopin Piano Competition and the young pianists competing to stay at the end and be crowned the best of their generation. Sounds good. But that is it for this week's show. But just the beginning Ooh. for us, we are going to be talking about our best movies, our best TV, our hidden gems. And then, of course, prepping for the Intercuity Award nominations that we're going to be releasing. So whatever your list is, it is important here on this channel. Get your stuff ready because we're going to have a document for you to fill out all of your favorites as we get ready for our Intercut Awards, breaking down all of the best uh, categories for the past year. Let us know your thoughts on this episode, on any of the movies that we covered, anything that you want us to make sure we get before the end of the year because not only are we covering all of the stuff uh, from the last 12 months and boy, like we said, is it a lot. But we're already prepping our Sundance recap or our Sundance preview, mind preview, you. Preview, yeah. Uh, the Sundance I told Zach last night we were supposed to film it earlier. That site is down. Like, you just can't, you can't down open bad. half the movies. Uh, once they fix that, we're getting ready for the preview because I have my notes for this and it'll be a great year. Like, I know we're talking about la la this past year, but we're already looking at movies that are going to be nominated in the future because we were combining our stuff uh, for this year. Like, one of our picks, two of our picks for this week were already Sundance movies. Yep. So it's like we're prepping for what we're going to be talking about at the end of the year next year before the year even begins. So yep. be really excited for that. Um, other than that, uh, you can find more from me over at LME Movies on social medias, Letterbox. Let me explain over on YouTube. Zach, where can people find more from you? You can find more from me at Zshevich across social media or you can find videos that I've done at Multiplex Show on YouTube, on TikTok, and even on Instagram. Beautiful. Uh, I know you like giving a shout out over here to Dinner Cut Clips. Yeah, the Intercuts, uh, as, as it were, the Cuts channel where we put up all of our uh, smaller reviews. And we even have the main channel reviews popping up on playlists so that. it's a nice easy way to keep stuff organized if you don't remember what episode we talked about that one movie or if you don't want to go through our entire you know two three hour film festival recaps we break it all down on the cuts channel uh and there's lots of good stuff there so make sure you're subscribed to both both here and that one yeah Beautiful. A reminder that you can catch and listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast here on YouTube.com every Monday when we go through the weekend must-watch. Uh, you can catch the live video here, or you can listen to every episode on your favorite podcaster from Anchor, Spotify, whatever it might be. Uh, a big shout-out to all of the Intercuties over on the Patreon. Uh, all of the Intercuties who leave us that 
five-star review. That is the most important thing because right now that we're heading into the new year, uh, we got to get that critic association stuff. And I know what they mm-hmm. really like is Apple Podcasts. We, we can record it here and on YouTube. It don't count. You put it on Apple Podcasts and they go, wow, very professional. You are mm-hmm. now on the radio. Uh, but it also helps with a lot of the screeners that we get throughout the uh, festival coverage to be able to get as much movies on your radar. Don't forget to leave us a comment. Drop a like. Follow the socials over at Intercut Pod. And until next time, keep making chocolate, of course.